welcome to this inspiring message by Paul Van Essen at Greater Life Church. For more information about us, do visit our website www.greaterlife.org.uk. Okay, so it's been great. I've had a great time. I don't think I need to say much more, but I want to introduce this topic to you since I promised I would. Is that all right? Because it's important. And uh, man, there is so much that we need to know and grow into as Christians. So that little bit this morning, I just feel like, I actually feel like God calling me uh, to increase in the training area, both of Christians and of ministers. So that's something that is going to uh, become more and more important uh, in what I do in the future. But I want to I maximize you guys that have traveled, you guys that have worshipped God as I trust really touched your life this morning. Um, let me help you with this incredible area, which is what we're calling, I think we've got a thing there, yeah. It's the same groovy photo as last week. Thanks, Carrie, for doing those. How you can be spirit-led. How you can be spirit-led by God, led by God in life. Now, you can be, every person can be, and I know there's a lot of Christian people that may be being Christian for quite a while, and they said, you know, Lucille, I was praying for you this morning. This is the funniest thing. And you, you can tell me if I'm wrong. But I just felt like when I was preparing this morning, I felt like the Lord just told me, I could be wrong, but I think there is um, there's something you're believing God for, some specific thing, and you haven't told anybody, you haven't told me. And we're pretty good friends. We know each other pretty well. But I felt like if, I, if I've heard this right and I feel like you know there's something you have it's a faith thing it's something that you've asked God specifically for you've not shared it with anybody and I feel like the Lord acknowledging that and saying I know that you've asked me and I'm on that case and you didn't need to tell Paul or anybody else so I hope that's encouraging because most because we're in a team together so we share life which is how life should be done but um it's just great. Lou's got, a, Lou's got a great personal walk with God, and it's a real encouragement to anybody who knows her. So, But that's what I felt like the Lord just dropped that in my heart. Something is going on, something that you're having faith in. It's a good thing, and the Lord sees the cries of your heart, something I know nothing about. So leave that with you. All right. God bless you. Okay, where are we here? We're talking about how... You can be spirit-led. So, for Christian people, most Christian people I've met in the last 44 years, it is, since I met Jesus, um, right this month, most Christian people over those years that I've met them in all kinds of settings, whether I'm leading a Bible college or planning a church or talking to people, one of the biggest challenges of their life is, how, how does God guide me? Am I sure that I'm in the will of God? It's a big thing. It is the most wonderful feeling in life to know that you're right where God wants you. And, and it's a feeling. It's not something that you have faith for in the way that the term is used often where I'm just believing God, but actually this isn't it, but I'm just going to, you know. No, you, 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 you've got to be in this place where you feel like this is right. This is so good, so right. And, and a lot of Christian people, ministers I know that I speak to, get stuck on this and it is a real frustration for a believer 
when you feel like you're made for something, but you're not quite sure what it is, and so you're kind of, you know, you're doing all right, but could it be this, could it be that? And, and yet the Bible promises us that the Holy Spirit will lead us. So I want to address that, and it'll take me probably three weeks or so. But I want to open by saying this, which is what I said yesterday in some, something I posted. You were born for divine destiny, and you were born for significance. And you've got to be clear on that. There's no question, no argument. Every one of the seven and a half or so billion people on the world, in the world today, every single one of them, from the one that was born that split second ago over in probably India, statistically, from the one that was born just over a year ago, from people that, uh, that live in the Amazon and don't know what we would term, uh, you know, uh, kind of some of the Western advancement, whatever. It makes no difference. Every single one of them was born, including you, because God wanted you, because God chose you, and he sent you with divine purpose and, with, and for significance. Now, significance doesn't mean that you have passed a thousand friends in Facebook or a thousand, ten thousand followers in Instagram or any of those things. Um, and, and that world has confused a lot of people. I love being in a relatively small setting like this because I've been in big settings and small settings. And one of the things that really helped me with, um, with understanding ministry and what the kingdom of God is like, because there's a change coming. I'm just slipping this point in here. There's a change coming to the church, which we're already in, which is moving away from a, 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 a where everything needs to be big. So a lot of people in Christian churches feel like the bigger the church is, the better. A lot of, ch- which isn't necessarily true at all, and certainly not how Paul the Apostle lived, or Jesus, who, who walked around with 12 guys, and that was his posse, that was it. Or John Wesley. So, see, I think about this. John Wesley is one of my heroes. You still know of John Wesley, don't you? All you Methodist people, he's one of my heroes. I've met some Methodist people over in, in the first building he bought. The first building he bought was in Bristol, in the horse fair. And, I'm, and, and, and so it's like a museum thing. And I went down there and stood in the pulpit and got Caroline to take a photo. And they have a worship-leading pulpit. It's like a separate little section. So I got up there and I started to sing, Oh, for a thousand. Because there's nobody there except for a couple of old Methodist ladies that were running the bookshop. And they loved it. They started singing. We all started, Oh, for a thousand. I don't know it very well, but that's a famous Wesley and him. If you don't know John Wesley, John Wesley and his brother Charles, George Whitfield and a handful of others in the 1700s really turned the country upside down for the gospel. And, uh, and it was, you know, he's one of my heroes. And we still hear about him. Now, I'd like to ask you, some of these people that have 100,000 or a million followers on Instagram, I'd be really impressed to see if we still hold them in honour in five years. Wesley, he died in 1791, so over 200 years ago. We still remember him because his life had eternal substance about it. And if you read his diary, which you can get and which I bought and I'm 
halfway through about all the, some of those quotes you get. That's a, it's a shortened version. I think you have to. I don't think it's out. Of, it's out of print. I've got a second-hand one. But you see this all the time. See, we think sometimes those guys, people went to church much more commonly. So when you read there was 20,000 people at an outdoor meeting in Bath or Bristol where he was, people tended to go to church. It's a very different situation to now. But if you read his journeys where he travelled on a horse, on the back of a horse, for over a quarter of a million miles, that's quite a few, just up and down the country time and time again, wrote while he was on horseback, prayed while he was on horseback, wrote, wrote his sermons, which he preached, you can get copies of those, uh, wrote over 200 books on a whole lot of other things other than spiritual matters. And yet, if you read it, he says, I went to Banstead and spoke. Nobody came. Then I travelled to Hooley or wherever he was, you know, or Ireland or somewhere in England. Spoke. Nobody came. Then I went to another place and went to speak in the church and they kicked me out. He was unceremoniously removed from many churches. They wouldn't have him. And you think I'm controversial. What he thought was controversial, at the, and now I'm not into being controversial for controversy's sake, but when we have a, a dribble of meaningless, ineffective religious claptrap that is still holding the church back in chains, which is the vast majority of Christian people, then you need some voices to pull them out of that. And if that's deemed to be controversial, so be it. As long as it's biblical, I'm happy with it. And so John, then he goes to another place. Nobody came. Then he says, turned up at another place to preach. 20,000 people turned up. So you can't, you're not doing it for the numbers. And it was the same for Paul. I mentioned Apostle Paul. I remember when Jesse Duplantis went to heaven, one of the you know, stories of, of people that I like about who went to heaven. And he saw Paul the Apostle and met him in heaven. And he said, and you'd think, of course, you'd think, you know, T.D. Jakes, nothing against them, Joyce Meyer, there are some really great people out there that are helping people. But there's a lot of really great people that you don't know in China and in Tibet and in harsh, you know, circumstances and in the back streets of India that are quite possibly paying a far more painful price and real sacrifice to bring the gospel to 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, whatever, people. So we've got to keep our perspective right. And there was Paul in heaven anyway, my point is, and he's out the back of this house because there's houses in heaven, and he's out the back of this house in a gazebo, he says, with about four or five people, and that's it. He's just preaching there and he's teaching them the gospel that he had pre preached in the Bible. Which is, you know, I'm trying to get you ahead of the game. You don't want to be in a gazebo at the back of my house in heaven and I'm taking you through what I already told you down here. And just as well, heaven is a, you know, you should have listened, you know. You should have, I told you to turn that Instagram off while you're in church. I told you. But anyway, and I just like that because whether it was a big crowd of people or whether it was three, four, five people, it didn't matter. You know, God is changing the church from situations where we think everything that is bigger is better to where we have the real name of Jesus lifted up, the presence of God, the miracles, the supernatural, that proper teaching, solid teaching, 
which might be, you know, who knows what God might do. I might turn up somewhere else and no one might come and I might turn up somewhere else and 20,000 people might come. But it's a great thing because I'm not moved by that. And that's, that can only be proven over time. You've just got to go through lots of years of having certain dreams, certain visions, certain things that, that you feel like should happen or you'd like to happen or whatever. And you just, what, what are you going to do? And God works at your heart, purifies your heart, gets all that need for people's uh, approval out of your system. Just take some time to get there. And everybody said, good preaching, good. All right, back to the topic. And I have about five minutes left, but it's a good topic. Are you ready? You were born with a divine destiny. That's my point. Now, you've got to build your life on that fact. We were, we were singing, and it was wonderful to hear everybody sing, you are good. I like what Bill Johnson said. He said, the foundation of all theology is God is good. And I, I would think similarly. I might say the foundation of everything in life is God is agape love, which he is. But agape love is very, 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 very good feels good, looks good, always true, always honest. You aren't going to feel great all the time because you're in a flesh and blood body that has certain challenges. But God is good all the time. And God made you. And maybe you weren't even planning to be here or you didn't know what I'd talk about. God sent me to tell people you were born with a divine destiny, a mark on your life. You're not here to do nothing. You're not here to do something average. You're not here to, you have got divine destiny printed all over you. And the more challenged some, for, for many people, the more difficult things have been for you is very often just a sign of how greatly God has called you because the devil would love to try and rub you out if he can before you hear what I'm telling you this morning, which is that you have great significance. So the more pains, the more challenges, the more difficult times, the more, take them, take them as a pat on the back. Take them as another stripe on your, on, your, on your shoulder, Sergeant, Sergeant Major, and get on and believe that. You've got to believe that. That's the first thing. If you don't believe that, you're always going to have trouble hearing from God because why would he speak to me? I'm just little so-and-so. I'm just, I'm so racked with mistakes. Oh, I'm, all that kind of stuff that hinders people. That's religious stuff. Jesus said your man-made religion has made of no effect the Word of God. Talking to religious people, to the Pharisees. And he said your man-made rules, your, your religious instructions make the power of God's Word of no effect. It doesn't help. It doesn't change you because you're so stuck in those old ways of thinking. You were born with destiny. You were born for significance. And that's the dream God has for you. Now, what it looks like for you to be significant varies from every single one of these seven and a half billion people. It, it varies. What means significant to you isn't what means significant to me or anybody else. It's interesting when you raise children because you've got here little Eva Nala. And, and on one hand, she's half Daniel and half our beautiful sister. You're looking lovely. Stand up for us and just uh, give her a big hand. It's quite a job being a mum. Yay, Amy. We're glad to see you. So on the one hand, she's half and half that. On the other hand, there's a part of her that's just God. That didn't come from mum, that didn't come from dad. And she'll do some things. 
sooner or later, maybe already, that you think, well, that wasn't me. That didn't come from me. And then the other person will say, well, it sure didn't come from me. And then you look at the grandparents. Was it one of them? But the reality is that God made people and that he's got a destiny. Now, if you raise children well to trust in God, to look towards God, to know that God is good, then as they come into kind of 10, 11, 12, that kind of age, then they start to start to become more self-aware and, they, and you'll find they start to discover their destiny and their calling, which could be pretty different from what you think. Now, if you're, if you're a godly parent, if you're a God-seeking parent, God can put things in your heart and you can start to have understanding. Sometimes you know from when they're very young some area that they might be interested in, you know. But there is just the... She's created by God for God with her own awesome destiny. And that's true of every one of us. And so then we become, as parents, we have this awesome responsibility of training, of loving, of pouring your best out, and yet of having to release them into their own destiny, just like mum had to do with you, Daniel, which I know is very taxing, you know, for mum. She's probably watching us right now. She's had to work today, but she'll be thinking of us, I know. So you've got to get that, that, you're, that there is significant. And you've got to understand that, that God wants to reveal your significance and your destiny to you. That's what he wants to do. Okay? God is interested in you being the best you you can be. He's interested in you shining. Because when you shine and you say, actually, I'm a God follower, I'm a Jesus truster, he put the shining in me, then all that does is shine bigger on him. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, Jesus said it as well, that God put his glory on you. What if people, that you've covered them in glory and honor. You've got glory on you. And some people use that glory and giftings, and you see some of them and they might be famous. You know, I love Cristiano Ronaldo's unbelievable football talent and other people in the arts field, and I love all that. And so there's a there's a kind of a glory. There's this incredible ability. Some people like that with writing songs. Bob Dylan's like that with writing songs. I mean, how do you do that? It's just, just phenomenal. Some people that have discovered that actually God gave them that gift and honoured God with that gift, that's the best thing to do. But you can't deny that there are some people that don't apparently love God or care for God particularly, but there's still a shining, there's this glory on their life. Well, we should be the shiningest, gloriousest, most magnificent people living. That doesn't all mean you're going to be famous or, or known. That's not the issue. The issue is that you, you shine in your life. It might be that just your neighbours, two on each side and two on that side, and the five friends that your daughter has when you take her to school, that might be basically your circle. Who knows? And then you bump into people at Waitrose or Sainsbury's or wherever you are. And that, that, so, you know, but wherever it is, you're shining. And God wants people to shine. And the Holy Spirit's purpose is not to tell you you're bad, not to tell you you're wrong, not to tell you that he will correct you when you make a mistake. But there's never any condemnation. So if you've never written that, there's just never any condemnation with God. 
And so I want to bring you, and we'll, close, we'll need to close at this fabulous point, or just in a minute. I'm coming in for landing, as they say. I'm in a holding pattern, like those planes, you know, but I'm coming in. You ready? So we're going to pop up here, Carrie, um, these verses here. I think we've got a couple of things. Okay, so watch this, because this is the foundation of what we're talking about. We're talking about how you can be led by God, how God can lead you, and it's really simpler than you think. But get this on the inside of you. I'm going to read it through. We'll read it together. Those of us, for those who are led by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. The Spirit you received doesn't make you a slave so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption as a son or a daughter to sonship. And by Him, that Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so this is, this is God teaching us a little something here. If we're led by the Spirit of God, we're the sons of... It's almost like the, the, the definition of a child of God is that they're led by the Spirit. In other words, what that's saying is you should absolutely expect to be led by the Spirit. It's not exceptional. It's not unusual. It's part and parcel of the deal. And so if we haven't quite learnt yet how that works or we don't feel clear or confident about it, then I'm going to talk you through that and that's, you know, my calling, my purpose to help you understand that. But we've got to understand here that for sure the children of God expect to be led by the Spirit of God. And then we notice this little thing about the Spirit. You received a Spirit. doesn't make you a slave. It makes you cry. It's an adoption to sonship and by Him you cry out, Abba, Father. So that word Abba, <coughs> what they've tried to do is it really means daddy in that language. That's a more helpful way to understand it because Abba is meaningless to us. But the idea is that it's not father like he's my father. It's daddy. It's a heart connection. It's a, an emotion. It's a feeling. So what it's saying there is you received a spirit. Everyone say, I received a spirit. When you received Jesus, you received a spirit. It's the spirit of Christ that you receive. And that spirit, notice this, it doesn't make you a slave to live in, in fear. So if you're a Christian, and there are lots of them, that, you know, to be honest, their testimony might almost be, and I, I know I'm sounding a bit harsh, I'm not trying to be, but, but, you know, their testimony might always be, might almost be, you know, I was fairly much enjoying my life until I got saved. Now I can't do this, I can't smoke, I can't drink, I can't have sex outside of marriage, I have to be at church. Now they want me to give 10% of my money, you know, and, and, and I can't live up to these demands of being a good Christian person. You can understand how people think like that. They've just got the cart before the horse. Instead of realising they received a spirit, they think a, a Christianity is my good behaviour in order to be proved to God that I'm a good Christian. That's all you've got around the wrong way. The idea is you receive spirit. No charge. You don't have to change. You don't have to stop doing anything. You just have to open your heart to God and say, I'm going to receive. And that spirit changes you. And that spirit has no fear in it and it doesn't make you a slave. I'm not a slave to the law. I'm not a slave. Now I'm a free person. That's what that spirit does. That's the spirit of Jesus. And that spirit causes you to cry out, Daddy. And I remember when I was a young Christian, how, you know, we'd pray and you'd gather in little prayer groups and you're a young Christian and you're growing. I, I just remember there was a 
point in my life when we're all praying and I'm really conscious of the fact that God is there. And really what was coming out of my heart when we're praying is instead of saying God, I just, I say daddy. It just kind of comes out of when you're, when you're, now if I'm praying, leading a prayer meeting or like Owen did this morning, then we might say God or we might say Father. But when it's me and God and we're alone, like I was earlier in this little room preparing for today here, then, then it's daddy. It just comes out that way. It's not, there's no condemnation in it. There's no, um, you know, boss and I'm the sinner. That's just, that's, that's in here. That's not in the spirit you got. Can you see what I'm saying? So you've got that. Now let's go to this other verse and then we've got a good little foundation for what we're talking about. This is just phenomenal. John 16, Jesus teaching. Watch this. Jesus has been with these 12 disciples like for about three years, a bit over three years, and he's leaving. And you can imagine, maybe you can imagine what it would have been like with Jesus walking around and there's this person who has been bent over for 18 years. And he just walks up and says, you stand up. And all the bones crack and this person 18 years. And of course they get upset because he did it on the wrong day or something. You imagine walking around with that. And then how, how's this for tech, like, like with the finance thing? He was, he was financially responsible for a fair bit, if you stop and think about it. He had to be. Now, he wasn't a businessman by design. He was a sent one of God. But he, which is, so he's a minister in that sense. But he had business nows. So he says to a guy that's fishing, 16, 17-year-olds, in his dad's industry, you do what your dad did, goes down, stop your fishing and follow me. And he said that to a number of people. In fact, all the people that he called left behind. Most of these guys are married. So he is responsible. If you're going to say to somebody... Stop, stop doing your Morgan Stanley and come and follow him. There's a responsibility the person's got to call you to cover you. He's covering a lot of salaries, a lot of wages, a lot of bills. It's got to be there. He doesn't do it because, you know, he's not, he's not buying Bitcoin. I'm not saying you do or you don't. I'm just saying it wasn't, he wasn't an investment guru. He trusted God. He was led by God, but it impacted things financially. You with me? Yes? And so, and so he, so he calls these guys, and says, "Right, follow me." And and so he's responsible for taking care of all that stuff. And then at the end of this, with this whole journey, and there's lots of stories, he says, "Now I'm going back to him who sent me." And you, and he says, "None of you ask where you're going, but you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But I'm telling you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Can you believe that?" They've just walked with Jesus. It says, better for you that I go. Stunning statement. What, would, what possibly could he mean by that? Because if I don't go, the advocate, or your version might say the comforter, or the helper, it's paraclete, hello, gorgeous. The siren's going, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to wind up the service. And, uh, yeah. So... The advocate, the helper, the comforter, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Greek word is paraclete. One called alongside to help. Counsels me, advocate, legal responsibility, legal representation, speaks to me, empowers me, comforts me, strengthens me. 
He won't come unless I go. Have we got one more passage or is that it, babe? Here it is and watch this. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Who will? Spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth about your life, about your destiny, about everything. It's the spirit. He won't speak on his own. He will speak what he hears and he'll tell you things that are yet to come. He'll prepare you, not everything, but some things. Then it says, he'll glorify me because it's from me that he'll receive what he makes known to you. He'll get, get things, the Spirit gets things from God and makes them known to you. Strictly speaking, Jesus doesn't make them known to you, even though it's the Spirit of Christ. Because strictly speaking, Jesus is in heaven, not here. The Holy Spirit is the guy who's here. And he's the Spirit of Christ. But strictly speaking, if you want to be technical, it's the Spirit. We need to understand that. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit received from me what he'll make known to you. So he says, you are concerned that I'm leaving, but don't be because I'm sending somebody else. And in the Greek, it means sending somebody just like me. Jesus says, I'm sending somebody just like me. But instead of just being with one Jesus, he's going to be with you and he's going to be with you and you and you and every one of you have got this divine paraclete and he's sent to tell you things to come and to reveal to you things that God has already said. And he, this God, he's the one that's got this awesome destiny for you. And the Holy Spirit is going to show you. And we're going to pick it up next week. Does that sound all right? Amen. Wonderful. Thanks. <laughs> Hallelujah. Father, thank you so much for being good to us. Thank you for this beautiful family of God's people. Thank you for the people that are with us on Facebook. We pray that you touch, encourage, help, strengthen them. Pray you bless our sharing in food and coffee and leather lounges. And Father, keep these guys. And I pray that you speak to every one of us about the reality of the person of the Holy Spirit guiding us into life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, everybody.